Welcome to Ethical Data Explained. Join us as we discuss data-related obstacles and opportunities with entrepreneurs, cybersecurity specialists, lawmakers, and even hackers to get a better understanding of how to handle data ethically and legally. Here to keep you informed in this data-saturated world is your host, Henry NG. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to Ethical Data Explained. I'm your host today, Henry NG, as always. Uh, today, we have a special guest. Uh, not only a project manager, tech lead, solutions architect, long list of different roles under his name, uh, but currently the head of technology at Brangard. Uh, we have Aldolfo Oyos, and he'll definitely correct me if I've messed up his name there. Um, but welcome today, Aldolfo. How are you? I'm really fine. Thank you for your introduction. My last name is really easy to mess up. Uh, <laughs> it's pronounced Oyos. Oyos. I think I think Correct. I've actually previously had this conversation. I've still messed up, but I apologize. So, Ojos, perfect, very well enough. That's great. So, yeah, thanks for coming on today. Um, as always, we would love to start a little bit about you and, and your background. Like I said, you have a very long list of, of great achievements from being a teacher all the way through to being like head of tech. So, it'd be great to know a little bit more about your background and your career journey. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me and. Uh... Basically, I my my childhood dream was being a an university teacher. Like I was a little kid, and I saw the campus of uh, one of the universities here in in the city, and uh, my father like described all the things, and I was kind of a history buff when I was a little kid and uh, a science buff. So I was like, okay, my, I will be a teacher there. So uh, like my 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 whole journey went like focused into that, and when I achieved it, it was like a like a really nice thing for me. And, and then I started like um, working in the like outside the academia, uh, like more in like project management and that. And at one point, I was like really burnt out because I had like lots of tasks in the different things, and uh, I just decided like okay. Will I continue my childhood dream of being a professor or will I continue doing this thing that is really exciting? It's really rewarding uh, for me at least. And uh, yeah, I decided to just go outside academia and continue like uh, this in, in, in software development, which is what I currently do. Brilliant. So would you say that that like that multitude of tasks and feeling burnt out is the reason you went from kind of the, the teaching and academia sector into private sector, or were there any other like contributing factors at all that made you make the move? Yeah, actually, I mean, the burnout was the reason I had to make a decision that the, 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 the burnout, the burnout I suffered was the, the reason I had to make a decision. Um, but the reason I went um, to private sector was, I don't know, it was more rewarding for me to just talk to people, like be outside selling things, um, like uh, uh, designing systems, giving solutions, talking to people, uh, gathering requirements, uh, mm, making compromises. Uh, so that that stuff was really like, uh, like I thought was really like um, taking advantage of like, uh, communication skills I was building along the world so I don't know it was more it, it felt it felt more more suited for me yeah, that makes end. sense kind of going from that that teacher to being that builder 
um obviously it's it's kind of always going to be exciting and obviously one of the things we're building uh, at the moment is is brand guard and, and helping brand guard really kind of excel so why don't you tell us a little bit more about brand guard and and what you guys have in the pipeline for for this year well we continue being uh, a startup we are really a uh, small company and we are a rather new one we uh, the company was born around 2016 and it was all managed by excel spreadsheets basically it was just uh like uh the guys were figuring out the process of uh like uh, mm, like um uh protecting brands uh and they were like all all over all over the place like uh doing uh they were even dealing with marketing things and with uh counterfeiting and all that they were all over the place figuring out the the the, the specific process they would uh we, we would be um focused on and when uh when the process was like uh uh providing like uh lots of uh, like some clients and some good feedback uh that's when the guys decided okay we we need to make this process a software so that's when when the guys contacted me and that's when i started like building this the systems that uh, autom automate lots of of the things we do, and uh, yeah, we have been able to, um, like, at, um, we have been able to attend uh, an increasing number of clients with basically the same size of operations team, which uh, which is the idea, right? Yeah, that's what every business wants to be able to achieve, maxim maximizing customers without having to uh, maximize your cost. This podcast is brought to you by Soaks, a leading proxy provider, enabling your business to unlock the world of publicly available data. Get data at scale. Soaks Data. I think one of the, the main things about BrandGuard is, is kind of obviously being focused on that e-commerce world is for our listeners what would you say are some of like the basic mistakes you've seen from e-commerce sites in terms of like storage and handling of like data or customer data or everyone's data that accesses that site well uh i i would not to to point out specific um companies maybe or specific <laughs> that's fine because we are in the same business so i don't know but uh what we try to avoid um, um, from what we have seen in the industry is to um, take data from users uh, and uh, and like private data from users and maybe that and what we try the most is to not make that information visible to other users in any way that's one of the what of the key uh, things I police on like basically any user generated generated data is not visible to people from other teams at all ever even simple metrics or metadata we we avoid that at all costs and that's I think that's a, a common thing nowadays for you to see like um, overall metrics about your customers and to give uh, I don't know um maybe to to give a glance to other users about what other users are doing and uh we avoid that at all costs so for us 
user-generated data should be visible only to them and people that specifically they give permissions to it. Mm -hmm. And um, and we are very explicit about what data is visible to other users. And, um, and we don't um, ever hide that behind like terms of conditions or, or whatever. You know, we make it very explicit in, in our front end. Um, so that basically summarizes uh, our 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 work ethic around the data we gather from users and from user generated data of course so barring kind of hiding it and making sure that only the right people have access to it for other companies and other e-commerce sites do you have any kind of tips and tricks to help stop kind of malicious actors from damaging business name by taking that data um obviously like the the idea of managing to gather that data in some way shape or form um maybe other startups or, or maybe completely new entries into the e-commerce market what would you suggest to them to put in place to help minimize the damage to their business when it comes to these malicious actors mm, actually um I, I guess the term malicious mm -hmm. is sometimes subjective because what can be malicious to you can be uh, benevolent to others. For example, we are in the business of eliminating uh, undesired sellers from marketplaces. So maybe from their point of view, we are being malicious with their contact information because we use the public information they post in on web on websites to contact them and to say and to maybe send cease and desist letters or to call them and and say hey okay you are not an authorized seller please stop selling so for us we are protecting the brand and we are enforcing the brand's policies mm -hmm. but maybe from the point of view of of the of the seller we are malicious because we are messing up with their way of doing businesses mm -hmm. or business. So uh, what I would suggest to anyone with information online, and this would be anyone basically, uh, is to be very careful about what you post anywhere. Um, and this this seems to be, this is a, a very broad <laughs> chip and maybe on <laughs> It's, it's not a, a real tip because I'm not like providing any specific way of doing that. But basically, every time you decide to post information online, think about, think if that information would be public to anyone, what would be the consequences to you? And I think that's a good approach um, as, as people and also as companies. Um, yeah. We And so at least what from our point of view, what we post online or what we post in any of our sites or even inside the app for uh, for um, our, let's say our private uses or, or, or within the access levels of our own users. Mm -hmm. even, even if we do that, we are always assuming that everything we do in our app could be public uh, to anyone. Uh, so that's why we, are very careful about what we what we post and what we uh, upload to our own um, systems. 
course, of course. So outside of that type of uh, kind of reseller, the the malicious actors, um, other issues that always kind of arise are things like map violators and, and grey market sellers. And if if we're to, taking a look at map violators, um, like in some cases it's big companies like what happened between Birkenstock and Costco. Uh, what are your views on kind of map violators and, and grey market sellers? Like how big of an issue actually is is it? In that case, that depends on the brand and they having a strong map policy, basically. And to make sure that there, there aren't leaks in their supply chains, basically, um, because um, when brands when brands have a strong map policy in place and enforce that to all of their sellers and all of their resellers, uh, they make sure that everyone is on the same page and that uh, you you won't have this time type of problems where your where your supply your supply chain uh, is uh, have has leak, leaks that make uh, your products available to people that you are not aware of. And that's when not only not only map is violated, but maybe also your quality uh, standards. Maybe you are providing with your uh, authorized sellers, uh, you are providing with uh, some warranties, or maybe uh, you have um, a, a strong, um, I, I repeat that, because when when um, with your authorized sellers you can enforce strong um, map policies, but also you can give strong warranties and and you can have uh, uh, maybe an easy return um, of products from your clients. So when you have those uh, supply chain leaks, you 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 are out of control of the, of those of those aspects, and not only your price is affected, but also the the quality you are providing to your users. So when you have beforehand a strong map policy and strong reseller policy, and you make all your resellers, on uh, your on your or your distributors to adhere to that, uh, you are more likely to be in control of of your map price everywhere. Okay, and have you obviously working in the market and working with a number of your own customers in in this way? Uh, can you give any kind of suggestions and processes um, that you think have helped successfully overcome map violators and gray market threats in the past. Um, obviously you don't need to give specific examples of companies, but like the, just the overall approach that you've taken to beyond uh, what you've just mentioned there. Mm, this goes outside a little outside of my, my expertise, mm -hmm. because basically we draft all that uh, with uh, legal teams, basically we try to uh, help brands um, building um, a strong reseller policy and and, and um, so those strategies are crafted to every brand depending on their policies and and uh, we and that's um, basically we just um, draft like mm -hmm. uh, some um, kind of agreement with your resellers and your distributors so they sign and they have to adhere to so that very much depends on any brand but um in general um 
what you should but what you should make sure is uh, as a brand is to um make sure you control or you make your distributors and resellers to adhere to that policy but you have to build it first so my 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 suggestion would be okay build that first so you mm -hmm. can uh bring bring those resellers in control of course of course and looking at the growth in things like ai and automation do you think and do you see uh those types of tools helping with the issue of map violators and, and gray market sellers at all actually yes um because um, for example we have uh some tools some internal tools that scrape the internet uh and with some basic rules tries to filter out what could be uh, uh, an unauthorized seller uh, to one of our clients. So at least for us, it has been very helpful to have a AI tools um, to scrape the internet and to filter out uh, what information is relevant to us and uh, and what resellers uh, should we contact and which should we not contact. Of course, of course. So things like map violators, obviously, we we put them in a very negative basket. Um, something that we always put in a, a kind of a gray area, especially being a, a proxy company and working with other um, web scraping tools. Like, what is your stance on web web scraping, and what point do you think it goes from competitive analysis to something a little bit shadier? Um, and 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 kind of what what is your opinion on? ever using web scrapers for that competitive analysis? Um, you're asking that from the seller point of view to lower your prices against other competitors, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, from from any point of view that, that kind of makes sense in your world, um, just the use of those uh, web scraping tools and, and how that kind of affects your day-to-day -day work, really. Yeah, we are, we, we strongly use um scraping tools to check on our clients products so for us it's vital to uh look for uh possible map violators or simply unauthorized sellers yeah uh, okay. because not only not only map violation is 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 the problem but some but just um being not uh, non-authorized from the point of view of the of the brand is mm -hmm. is already an issue um because that um undermines the ones that are authorized right because yes, you you, you have you have agreements with the with the sellers you have authorized mm -hmm. so when you have ones that are not authorized that affects like your like the network you have built and then uh with with your your authorized sellers Exactly. Um, exactly. So, from the point of view of web scraping, I, I don't, I don't see an ethical issue whenever you are take, you are, um, taking um, data that is that is public and it is not behind like a login or, or, like a specific uh, access for a user. So, for example, if I were a seller, that is trying to lower their prices maximize that that decreasing price i it would be vital for me as a seller to check what is the lowest price because if not i would not be selling anything 
So from that point of view, I, I don't see an, an, an ethical problem mm -hmm. if the information I'm gathering is public. Okay. And in, in your opinion, how, uh, well, your opinion and your experience, the data you're gathering from web scraping, um, what kind of duty of care do you have in place to manage like people's information responsibly uh, when you're gathering it? Mm, for all of all, all of the data that is visible in our systems, we we have multiple um, like um, multiple access levels. All of our users are are um, are part of teams. We 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 subdivide like our the access levels of of our system into teams. So no one in one team can see any information from people from other teams if they ha don't have access to that team so that way uh, we that's that's one one of the ways we responsibly uh manage user data because we don't uh, uh we don't uh, give access from one team to another and even so inside teams we also provide like access levels so users can decide what information that they are generating is 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 accessible to others uh, users in their own teams. So those are multiple ways. We we are always thinking about what is user-generated data. Um, there's this kind of data we call public, that is the data we, we gather uh, from the internet. And that is always, uh, that, that is sometimes visible to our users, but whatever user-generated, we are very careful about that. And we, and we say, okay, no, this is user-generated, this shouldn't be, it shouldn't be visible by anyone else. Okay. No, that's great. So it looks like you have like robust policies in place to to definitely manage not only the data you're collecting, but the data you're gathering firsthand from from customers as well. Um, from outside, that's actually the the core of all of the more technical questions. Uh, we have three questions we ask all of our guests um, before we close off our podcast. The first one is. Who in the world of data uh, would you most like to take out for lunch? Uh, if you can't think of someone from the world of data, who in the world of technology would you like to take for lunch? Hmm. Hmm. It's a tough question. The first isn't it? question. Hmm. <laughs> who in the world of data? What is the world of data? Uh, data mm. or tech? Let, let's go with that. Uh, I feel like the world of data is uh, very limited sometimes because everyone in tech technically works with data on a regular basis. Yeah, actually, actually, there's this person. There, there's an academic. Uh, let me. I, I just forgot her name. She works gathering data from nano, like nanosystems, simulated nanosystems, and uses uh, like uh, uh, AI. To check for trends and to um, basically make analysis of simulations, but using AI, it's kind of it's like okay. like a crazy. That sounds really interesting. Shit. Our next question is: What piece of software or what application could you not live without on a, a daily basis? Easy, Git. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I did think that would be the go-to for someone who works <laughs> in development. <laughs> yeah, because Git. I mean, you could do anything with that. If nothing else existed, you could manage like lots of things with, I mean, at least if only the things that made Git function existed, 
Yeah. You could manage everything with Git, like even communications, even writing papers, even uh, writing uh, 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 a script for a podcast, uh, whatever. Uh, you could do anything and build anything uh, using just Git. So it's definitely like the, I feel like it's the holy grail for any developer or any creative is, is, is GitHub. It's yeah. just everything all encompassed in one. Now, I, I feel like a lot of uh, listeners will agree with you on that. And then the final question we have is, when have you used data to solve a real world problem you've had? It doesn't have to be a professional problem, could be a personal problem, um, or even helping you decide breakfast. Uh, when have you used data to to help solve a real world problem? Yeah, actually, there was this time I needed to to find where the the sons of of the brother of my <laughs> grandfather were. Yeah, because that brother was like missing. Oh right, okay. So, so what just, type of yeah. data gathering did you employ to for for that? Yeah, I just create for people with the same last names and I see. And, and some suspect. I interviewed my my relatives. So they okay, this person was called like that, I think, and his son was like that. So I started gathering information, and I found and I found the people actually, and uh, that helped me a lot with uh with some legal thing I uh, it, uh, my family had going on. So, yeah. Fair enough. That sounds like a very good use case for for data in the world, real world. Um, hoping that all got resolved. Um, but that is literally all the time we have today for this podcast. Uh, firstly, I want to thank you, Adolfo, for, for joining us. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in this week. And hopefully at some point we'll be able to get Adolfo back and find out susan's surname um just to see if we can uh, connect them for a lunch someday uh but it's great to know more about brand guard great to know more about map violators and, and your view on on the e-commerce data market um and we are very excited to see what brand guard has to offer uh, for 2023 so thank you very much yeah really excited to be here thank you for having me and yeah goodbye perfect thank you everyone Ethical Data Explained is brought to you by Soaks, a reputable provider of premium residential and mobile proxies, the gateway to data worldwide at scale. Make sure to search for Ethical Data Explained in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. On behalf of the team here at Soaks, thanks for listening.